So we're continuing our series uh, today on the Holy Spirit, and as Rick said, specifically looking at what's called the gifts of the Spirit. But before we get into that, today is October 15th. Do you know what that means? There are only 60 shopping days left before Christmas. 60. Have you got your, your Christmas list posted on Amazon yet? No? You better get to it. Christmas. I love Christmas when I was a kid. I still love Christmas, but I love Christmas especially when I was a kid because presents, right? And the greatest, the most fantastic present I ever got was Robot Commando. I mean, this was a voice-controlled robot that fired missiles out of its head and ping-pong balls out of its arm, and you could steer it. I, I ran this thing around the basement constantly chasing after the cat, and it was awesome. My mom was not quite so thrilled with it, of course, because it used about 20 D-cell batteries a day. And so, I, you know, I always look forward to this kind of gift at Christmas, but inevitably there would be these other gifts, these packages that were kind of squishy, that would have the things in them that you needed, like socks and pajamas and a new pair of pants. And I would open up one of those and I would say, gee, mom, thanks, a, a, a new pair of socks, just what I needed. You know, I was really enthusiastic about it. So for every amazing gift like Robot Commando, there were always socks. And life is kind of like that. You know, there are these things, these gifts that we get in life that whir and roar and, and dazzle and they take lots of batteries. And then there are practical gifts, the things that keep us from running around naked. So you can see where I'm going with this, right? I'm saying that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are kind of like socks. And already, I barely started and I'm in deep theological trouble here. But you can complain to David later on. But there's a particle of truth in that because the Holy Spirit's main focus is to celebrate Jesus and to involve us in the work of telling the world about celebrating Jesus. And the gifts of the Spirit are necessary because we're just not equipped to do that job. We just don't have what it takes. The gifts of the Spirit provide us with the practical things, the important things, the necessary things that we have to have in order to participate with the Holy Spirit to show Jesus to the world. So let's recap what we've learned so far. First of all, we've talked about how the Holy Spirit is not scary. He's not a force of nature. He's not the force like Star Wars. He is God himself. He shares everything with God. He is equal with God. He is God, but he has a different role. He's identical to God, and yet in the mystery of the Trinity, he carries out a different purpose and that special purpose is the foundation of what the gifts of the Spirit are all about. The Holy Spirit's work is to shine a bright spotlight on the Son of God. Here's what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 16. He said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future and he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit's focus is on telling us what he's heard from Jesus. The theologian J.I. Packer sums up the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit's ministry this way. 
The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at Jesus and see his glory. Listen to Jesus and hear his word. Go to Jesus and have life. Get to know Jesus and taste his gift of joy and peace. Now, there is this other aspect of the Spirit. We've talked about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly right. We're, we're, we're expected to, we're asked, we're invited to do that. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's our companion. He's our friend and advocate. He's a prayer warrior who prays for us constantly before God. And in Galatians, Paul says that our relationship with the Holy Spirit changes us. It impacts us. He says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I leave anything out? There is no law against these things. Paul is saying, do these things. These things are great. These things are things that God wants for you. And everything, all of this is true, you know, that the Holy Spirit works in us and makes us new creations in Christ. And yet he has a bigger agenda than that. Or there's more to his agenda than that. So here's the big idea for the day. The Holy Spirit has made it his mission to declare the excellencies of Jesus. By giving us a variety of gifts, the Holy Spirit has equipped us to roll up our sleeves and to join him in that work. Or J.I. Packer again says this, The truth we must grasp here is that our exercise of spiritual gifts is nothing more nor less than Christ himself ministering through his body to his body, to the Father, and to all mankind. From heaven, Christ uses Christians as his mouth, his hands, his feet, even his smile. It is through us, his people, that he speaks and acts, meets, loves, and saves here and now in this world. Maybe one of the best places to start to the discussion about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is where we're going to be today. It's in the first book that Paul wrote, or first book, first letter that Paul wrote to the, uh, the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. It'll be up here on the screen for you if you don't. Or if you've got a smartphone, you can open up the smartphone to your browser and go to mygrace.church. And that'll take you into the sermon notes and all sorts of other information about what's happening in the life of our church here. But before I get started with that, um, let's pray together and ask for God to, to lead us and to, to really speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we come to your word always seeking and yet not knowing what we'll find. Sometimes not opening our hearts, not really wanting to hear what you have to say. I pray that that's not the case today. I pray that we would open our hearts generously and allow you to speak to us about the gifts of the Spirit and how you want us to participate in the ministry that the Holy Spirit is doing here on earth to proclaim the wonders of Jesus. Show us how to take part in that. As I speak this morning, I pray that you'll help me to get out of the way and that you'll give me the words and that you'll give all of us hearts to listen and to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things I need to tell you right off the bat is that there isn't really very much said in the Scriptures about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're mentioned, and there are numbers of gifts listed, but it's not something that there's great 
volumes of information on in the scriptures. And some of the gifts are mentioned without even being, without even having a, an explanation of what it is that they are. There are no spreadsheets. You know, I'd like to have a spreadsheet somewhere in the Bible that kind of explains all of this. But as a result of that, I'm, I'm figuring that I'm probably going to raise a lot more questions today than I'll answer, but that's okay because I think that it'll stimulate a conversation. It'll stimulate your interest. It will allow you to begin discussing in your small group, for instance, or in your ministry teams or on Alpha. What does this mean, these gifts of the Holy Spirit? And the other thing is that, you know, any questions that I raise, David's got the answer. Just go to David, you know, and he'll, he'll, he'll fill in the blanks. He'll tell you what I did wrong. Um, so let's read together the scripture. We'll read the first seven verses, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 and through 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Now you start out, Paul says, I want to answer the questions that you have about the spiritual gifts, first of all. And there were questions that Corinth had, uh, the Corinthian church had, had raised. They were unclear about what the gifts meant. But beyond that, there was also a great deal of trouble in the Corinthian church, and a lot of it was around the way the gifts were being used or misused. First of all, what they had done was they had created a, a sort of a, a scale, a ranking system, so that people that had certain gifts were given more prestige, more prominence in the church fellowship, and others were given less. And so the gifts became a source of rivalries and jealousy in Corinth. And secondly, the worship that they had, their Sunday worship, had begun to resemble what was taking place in the pagan cathedrals around Corinth. Um, and some of the people in the church wondered if there was really any difference between what they were doing and what was being practiced in the, in the temple of Dionysius, for instance. And Paul wants to draw a very sharp distinction here between the power of the Holy Spirit, who always speaks the truth, and the lies told by pe pagan priests. Um, there were things being done in the pagan temples that looked a lot like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they were being driven by powers of darkness. And so Paul wants to make a distinction there. And one of the ways he tries to do that, tries to change their thinking, is by changing their vocabulary. The Corinthians were in the habit of using the word pneumatica to describe the gifts of the Spirit. Pneuma is the Greek word for breath. And the Holy Spirit is oftentimes in the New Testament and sometimes in the Old referred to as the breath of God. Jesus even used the same metaphor in John chapter 20. He said, peace be with you. He's talking to disciples. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on the disciples. He went, oh, receive the Holy Spirit, he said. So he was tying into this image and this thing that they knew that the Spirit of God is like breath. So what pneumatica means is things of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a bad description for the gifts, 
But after using the word pneumatica in verse 1, Paul goes on and uses his own word, which is charismata, from which we get the word that we hear today called charismatic. Charismata is from the root word charis, which means grace. Grace, a gift that's given without our deserving it, with no strings attached, like salvation, for instance. So Paul's word, charismata, means signs of grace. Pneumatica, things of the Spirit, puts the focus on where the gifts come from. But charismata puts the focus on why we have these gifts. We have them because God loves us, because God is gracious to us, because, and, and also why we're supposed, how we're supposed to use them. We're supposed to use them generously and in love. Paul's trying to reshape their attitudes about the gifts. Let's take another look at verses 4 through 7. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in us, in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So in these verses, Paul's trying to attack this business of sort of a hierarchy and status and the gifts as status symbols and saying, God is God and we're all on this level playing field together. Your gifts don't make you special, he's saying. You're special because God loves you, because God has adopted you, not because of the gifts that he's given you. We're all on the same footing before God. And then verse 7, I'm sure, was really big news to them. Because again in Corinth, they were probably thinking, uh, some people have gifts, they're the more favored ones, and some people don't. But he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life, and you were given at least one gift to serve him with. You may have more than one. But God has work for you to do, and you have been given a gift. So let's go a little deeper into this and think about, you know, what, what, what exactly are spiritual gifts? What are we really talking about? Well, a spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit intended to build up the church and to make Jesus known to the lost. We all have natural talents and abilities. Well, most of us do. Some of us are duds. Um, but we have these natural talents and abilities, and, and most, for the most part, they build us up. They kind of shine a light on us. Spiritual gifts make Jesus look good, shine a light on Jesus. Throughout the book of Acts, you can see examples of how uh, the spiritual gifts are, are used. In Acts chapter 3, for instance, John and Peter are uh, walking along one day, and there's this crippled man there, and they heal him. Remember that John and Peter were just fishermen, ordinary fishermen. Now they're doing miracles. And then Peter begins preaching to the crowds about who Jesus was. And he preaches so effectively, he stirs up this big audience. He's arrested. He's taken to prison for a while. They tell him, don't preach anymore. He comes out and he ignores the authorities and continues to preach. Again, this is the same Peter who was scared to death of a little servant girl who questioned him on the night when Jesus was arrested. Something had changed in Peter. Something had changed. He had courage where he didn't have any courage before. He had an articulate message about the ministry of Jesus Christ, this man who was uneducated. He was healing. 
The Holy Spirit had done these things for him. Later on in the book of Acts, you see about uh, this young man named Stephen, who was a deacon and had been put in charge of distributing food to the needy in the church. But he went out and he himself began preaching and performing miracles and was himself arrested and persecuted because of that. Or you have uh, later on Philip, another kind of an unknown guy, a disciple, who went to Samaria and began doing miracles and began preaching the gospel and led all sorts of people to Jesus. And Samaria, you'll remember, was a part of the, the, uh, the area that was a sworn enemy of the Jews. But they responded to the gospel message through Philip's work, Philip's words. Acts up and down throughout is a veritable parade of the Holy Spirit doing remarkable things through ordinary people. And that's, his purpose was and is to strengthen the church and to to make the work of Jesus Christ known to the Jews and to the Gentiles and across all of Asia and all of the world. The second thing about spiritual gifts is that it's the Holy Spirit's way for compensating, of compensating for our weaknesses. They make ordinary people into vessels into which God can pour out his power. So when you have a spiritual gift, it doesn't imply that you're somehow brilliant or outstanding in some way, because over and over again in the scripture, God says that he uses our weaknesses to show his glory. He uses the places where we're weak to make us strong and to give himself glory. Jesus didn't choose the apostles because they were men of great faith and learning, nor because they were recognized as community leaders. They were quite the opposite. They were relatively uneducated. They were outcasts, some of them. They were selfish. They were sometimes divided against each other. But what they had in the end was a desire to humble themselves and let God use them. When I was in school, when I was young, I can remember vividly that there were these times when the teacher would stand up in front of the class and she would ask some question and I would have no clue what she was talking about. And so I would kind of scrunch down in my chair a little bit and I would do this mind control thing, don't call on me, don't call on me, don't call on me, right? And it usually worked because, you know, I have that power. And so when we were, had decided to, to do a service a series on the Holy Spirit, David invited um, various ones of us to consider preaching on, on the Holy Spirit. And, and I kind of took that approach don't ask me, don't ask me, please don't ask me, because it scared me, frankly, because for a lot of reasons. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I guess it scared me the most because I don't think of myself as a poster child for living the victorious life of the Holy Spirit. I don't see myself as having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all those things. I can recite them well enough, but I can't live them very well. And I kind of felt like, I'm entirely the wrong person to sit here and talk about this. But then David wrote me specifically and said, (laughs) thanks David, I appreciate that very much. He said, how would you like to do the the sermon on the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah! (laughs) And so, you know, I just felt convicted ultimately and God said, do this thing. And I guess, you know, my point is just that... um, God often, in the power of the Holy Spirit, invites us, urges us 
to get involved in doing things that we don't think we want to do or don't think we can do. And you may have had that experience. Somebody may have come up to you and said, hey, I'd like you to teach Sunday school. And you say, no, I can't do that. I am not a teacher. I'm not qualified. Or I would like you to take this position or do that thing or come with me to this ministry we're doing. And, and sometimes our first response is to put on the brakes and think of all the thousands of reasons why we, we're not the right ones to do that. The gifts of the Spirit are there to equip us in our weakness to be powerful and strong in the work of Jesus Christ. If we try to be the church without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, frankly, we'll fail. It gives us the power, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be the church. The third thing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is we tend to think of spiritual gifts as awesome demonstrations of God's power, and there is that aspect of it, but a lot of the gifts are really not very flashy. I mean, naturally, the miracles get our attention. There are many gifts that Paul mentions, though, that have nothing to do with miraculous things. There are signs of simple generosity, gifts of simple generosity, and and compassion, and kindness, and servanthood, and love. I even think it's likely that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that haven't, um, weren't mentioned in the Bible. Let's just put it that way, because I think of the Holy Spirit as being infinitely creative. And so, for instance, I think there's probably a spiritual gift of musicianship. And I don't mean that when you have the gift of musicianship that you're going to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone, but rather that God has equipped you to lead the church in, in worship, And so you're specially equipped to bring us into a place where we're in the presence of God and we're able to sing and delight in God's presence. So what kind of gifts might you have, do you think? Well, a good way to discover your gifts um, is to just ask yourself, where do I find my greatest joy when I'm serving Jesus? Another is to ask the people who know you best, what gifts do you see at work in me? You can talk to your life group about it. I would suggest you do that. You can talk to about this in Alpha, and I hope that you'll have an opportunity to do that with your ministry team. Talk to each other about the gifts. Reinforce each other. Encourage each other to use the gifts that you see in each other. And then pray about the things that people say and, and ask for the Spirit's confirmation about that. In your notes on uh, mygrace.church today, there's a link where you can go to an online inventory that has like 105 questions on it, Uh, so sorry about that, but it'll kind of steer you into a a way of looking at what might be your spiritual gifts. And I don't claim that it's prophetic, but I do claim that if you go through that thing, that exercise, it'll give God an opportunity to talk to you about some of the things in your life that he has equipped you with that you might find um, it would be good to use more in in the service of the church and the service of, of the Holy Spirit. In the final verses of today's passage, Paul mentions several specific gifts, and some of them are pretty out there, actually. So let's continue reading, in, in, uh, starting at verse 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. 
It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. In your sermon notes, there is a a list that Sandy typed up for me of the 25 gifts of the Holy Spirit that are kind of typically thought of as being the the things we talk about as revealed in the Old and New Testament as the the way in which God has gifted various people. Uh, They roughly fall into six arbitrary categories. The gifts of instruction, gifts of discernment, gifts of leadership, serving, supernatural powers, and inspired speech. I'd encourage you to spend some time looking through that list uh, over the next few days. And as you look at it gift by gift, I wonder if anyone will come to mind. Who are the people who have affected your life and your faith by their use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their own lives? For instance, for myself, when I think of the gift of teaching, I think of a guy named John who was the one who led me to the Lord and then spent all sorts of time with me helping answer my questions about who God was, about what the Bible was saying. Uh, he encouraged me. He challenged my doubts. He, he got me to dive deep into God's Word and to really examine what God had said in Scripture. When I think of words of wisdom... I remember a man named Evan who, um, when I was trying to figure out God's direction for my life, spent a lot of time listening to me, challenging me, giving me advice, and helping me to discern where God was leading me, what God had in store for me. When I think of the gift of mercy, I remember a woman named Judy who, when I was at a very low time in my life, showed me all sorts of kindness and love and led me back to God when I felt that he turned away from me, or in fact, I had turned away from him. You ever had experiences like that? Experiences where God's people made a difference in your life? How has the Holy Spirit used you to teach, to lead, to counsel, to help, to comfort, to guide, to encourage the people here at Grace and elsewhere? I'll bet he's done it. So I want to finish today by talking about three gifts Paul mentions at the end of today's passage, healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues, or speaking in unknown languages, as he calls it. These are sometimes called the charismatic gifts, and at least here in the West, they're they're controversial. In the church I grew up in, uh, the pastor believed that these charismatic gifts, healing, tongues, and prophecy, no longer were practiced after the first century. Um, And that became my position too as a young believer because that was what I was taught and I hadn't seen any evidence to the contrary. But then I began reading about miracles taking place in Africa and in Latin America by um, people that were reputable and I started questioning myself. I wondered if I'd become so rooted in the Western framework of thinking about God and thinking about what God could do or would do that I'd kind of put God in handcuffs. And then I also read a book at that time by the Bible translator, a guy named J.B. Phillips, called Your God is Too Small. And as the title suggests, he was accusing the church of having dumbed down God, having made God small and safe. I think it's Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia who is shocked to find out that Aslan is a lion. And she says, is he safe? And the response is, no, he's a lion but he is good. And that's the way God is. 
not particularly safe, can't particularly put him in a box, but he is good. So let's consider the gift of healing. People are vulnerable when they're sick. And there are charlatans, both uh, quack faith healers and quack medical doctors who will take advantage of desperate people. There are famous healing ministries today that, in my opinion, are more interested in enriching their leaders than in actually doing healing from the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet that said, Jesus, the Son of God, healed. There's just no doubt about that. There are too many eyewitness accounts in the Gospels and Acts to doubt it at all. His disciples healed, not only Jesus, Paul and the disciples, as I just talked about in in Acts chapter 3, miraculously healed people in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. I think God invites us to ask him boldly for what we want. And he tells us to come to him as we would a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will heal in response to our prayers with the caveat that God is sovereign. And occasionally, for reasons God does not explain, he says no. But I also believe, not only what I read in scriptures, but what I've experienced in my own life. And at least four times that I know of, I have been involved in praying for and witnessing a miracle of healing. In one case, as part of a small group of church leaders who went to pray for somebody and they were healed, and in other cases where I joined with a larger group who were united in praying together and saw uh, in several cases where um, there was no hope left of somebody living that everything turned around and, and God healed them. It's presumptuous to demand that God heal, but if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, It would be foolish for us to think somehow that God no longer heals. At least that's my opinion. And so I think that we have to pray for healing boldly. And I think God wants us to pray boldly. I believe the Holy Spirit working through us can heal. Have you ever experienced that yourself? Maybe you find it hard to accept, and that's understandable. It's a hard thing to accept. One of the gifts of the Spirit is faith. And so if you're at that place where you're not really sure that God heals, you don't have confidence that he can heal or that he listens to your prayers about healing, maybe the place to start is to ask him to give you more faith and to see what happens with that. Another of the charismatic gifts is prophecy. As you read 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says over and over again that he wishes more people would seek the gift of prophecy. And here's one example. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. What is he talking about? What is prophecy? You know, we usually think of it in Old Testament terms. Prophecy is that thing that the Old Testament prophets did where they predicted what was going to happen in the future or in the book of Revelation where they talk about the end times and what it's going to be like. And that's true. That is prophecy. But Paul is also talking about something beyond that, something in addition to that. He means a prophecy that directs us, that builds us up, that challenges us that encourages us, and that helps the church in its 
understanding of where God is leading it. The New Testament scholar Ben Witherington describes prophecy this way. A prophecy certainly wasn't a sermon by 20th century standards. It was a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden and uncontrived revelation from God. Prophecy was a gift that both men and women exercised and is often some sort of instruction for the church. Now remember that the early church didn't have the written scriptures. And so they were led by faith by messages from the Holy Spirit about what they were to do and how they were to behave and what they were, what they were to think about God. Even later when the, when the scriptures were more available, prophecy continued to take place as the Holy Spirit directed the church in very specific individual cases or very specific situations that weren't covered in scripture. And they were always challenged to evaluate, to test prophecy on the basis of what they knew of Scripture. And that's true today. The Scriptures tell us to test prophecy, but it doesn't say prophecy has ended. I think our preconceptions about prophecy sometimes are a bit too rigid. A prophecy can be a few simple words that give you that kind of an aha moment where you know that God is speaking to you. God has just answered your question. God has just confirmed something in your heart. Or it can be something bigger something that steers the church in a whole new direction or corrects some problem that's happening in the church. Have you ever felt led by someone's words to you? Led to believe that God had just spoken to you? Led to believe that you were being convicted by God? Maybe the most mysterious of the gifts is this thing called speaking in tongues or speaking in unknown languages. And this actually refers to two different sorts of gifts that are similar. The first is called xenoglossia. And you see it in Acts chapter 2, which is where David's going to be preaching next week. So you can read ahead and see how that worked. Also in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 10, um, Peter and Paul both are part of examples of this. Xenoglossia is when the Holy Spirit enables people to speak in a human language that they don't otherwise speak. And it was critical to the church back in the first century because it allowed the gospel message to move into Asia and beyond to peoples that did not speak either Hebrew or Greek. And so the Holy Spirit uses it in Acts chapter 2 as a way of giving the message of Jesus Christ to these people who were listening to the disciples and spoke other languages. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about something else. He's talking about another gift of tongues called glossolalia. And I'm afraid, unfortunately, it's, it's uh, one of the gifts that was kind of at the top of the pecking order in Corinth so that people that practiced speaking in tongues were given great um, props in, in, in the church. They were, they were considered to be super spiritual people in the church. And that wasn't what God intended at all. But Paul wasn't complaining about the gifts of tongues, but rather the way it was being misused by the members of the church. To quote Ben Witherington again, Paul is concerned for what profits or benefits the group. If one is exercising one gifts in love, then one will think of the benefits of the others first. Corinthian worship was at times an exercise not of a body, but rather of a collection of isolated individuals, all displaying their gifts rather like, a merchant, like merchants at a fair kind of like a carnival in some ways. But the fact that it was being misused 
doesn't mean that the gift of glossolalia was not an important gift of the Holy Spirit. It seems like from the way that Paul describes it, and he's a little vague about it, he kind of takes the, makes the assumption that everybody knows what he's talking about so he doesn't get into a lot of details. But he, he refers to glossolalia as a language that's not understood or spoken by humans. It's, it's a language used specifically to speak to God. Now, we can talk to God in English or Spanish. We can talk to God in Swedish. And God understands us. So glossolalia is not a necessary thing for talking to God. It's rather a language of worship. And Paul says that he himself uses it um, in his prayer time, in his private prayer time, when he's talking to God. Despite all the problems in Corinth, it seems clear that the Holy Spirit was doing extraordinary things among them. He was miraculously evangelizing across language boundaries. He was leading believers to praise God in a language that had never before been heard here on earth. The challenge for us, I think, is to discover how the Holy Spirit wants to use all of these gifts, even these more fantastic gifts, today. And how do we use them in a way that brings honor to Jesus? So let me close by saying that um, I think the Holy Spirit's ministry today is to show the true Jesus, the authentic Jesus to the world. And he does that by equipping us to show Jesus to the world. He's equipped his church, he's equipped you and me with gifts so that we can join the Holy Spirit in this work of making Jesus known. You've been given a gift And through that gift, you are the hands and the voice and the smile of Jesus Christ in the world. So the question is, what are you doing with your gift? Watch this video. Imagine if you're at a football game and you see your team running onto the field and you know how excited you get when it's a when it's a first play they're actually going to run you know and you don't know how they're going to start off the game and you see the quarterback he, he he huddles his team together and and he's in there and he's calling a play and there's all this emotion going on right everyone's so fired up team's fired up he calls the play they break and what if after they broke you saw them run over to the sidelines and just sit on the bench then 30 seconds later, they run back on the field, and you see the quarterback huddle them together, you know, and they're running to the huddle. They're so excited to run the huddle, and they call this play. Everyone's fired up. They, you know, clap. They break, and they run back to the bench again. After a while, you think to yourself, this is really weird. Not only weird, this is really stupid. You guys, this is how the church looks. I mean, think about it. Every Sunday... A pastor gets up in front of a group of people, he huddles them together, and he says, look, this is what we're going to do. And everyone gets all emotional, like, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. And then Monday morning rolls around. No one does what the pastor tells them to do, but they get together and go, oh, I can't wait till next Sunday. He's going to call another play. He's going to give another one of those great sermons. And you wonder why the world looks at the church and go, I don't get it. I'm not impressed. I don't I don't." say anything that I really uh, look at and go, I wish I could do that. You guys, it's when we actually are out there running the play 
that the Holy Spirit can come alive in us and people can notice and go, man, how in the world did they pull that off? See, we don't need the Holy Spirit to sit in a room and go, amen, oh, that's good. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, it's great. It's great that you guys get together and you study the Word of God. This is important stuff. The question is, is what do you do with it during the week? Did you actually run the play? Because the world's waiting for us to actually run the play and do something by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're waiting to see. And that's where you need the Holy Spirit. Our next step, questions. Um, we have a slide for that? If you've never given much thought to your spiritual gifts, what next steps are you willing to take to try to discover them? Are you using your spiritual gifts effectively? And how can you begin to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about putting your gifts to work? I'd like us to give, take some time to think about those things. And as with in previous weeks, uh, we have communion tables at the back, um, where you can communion stations, where you can go and take communion yourself and speak to God about the condition of your heart, the things that you need to talk to Him about. They're going on in your life. There are going to be people from the prayer team gathered around the outside, including David and myself, who'd be delighted to pray with you about something that's on your heart. And and if you have some specific thing that you'd like to pray about with respect to the the Holy Spirit or these gifts, this would be a good time to do that. Let's take a few minutes. The worship team will just quietly do some music while we're we're, uh, praying together and talking to God together. Speak to the Lord. Ask Him to lead you. Ask Him to guide you. Ask Him to help you to understand how he's gifted you and what he wants you to do about that.